So we are in lesson six of Jonah, uh, and we'll be covering chapter four this morning. But um, at Bob's request, at the end of last week, we uh, started a little discussion on this question: Did Jonah die or not? And uh, and um, and I guess the the verse numbering in, in our lessons was we had, had kind of had one one verse missing there at the end of. Uh, Jonah chapter two that I didn't notice. And so didn't get a lot of, uh, discussion. Um, but I, I came up with, we'll cover this fairly quickly so we can get into chapter four. Um, but, uh, but kind of three, three points. Um, if we look at, uh, Jonah, uh, chapter two, verse one, then Jonah prayed to, the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. So, so first of all, Jonah was praying from inside the fish. So it, it, he wasn't dead, at least at that point. <laughs> um, so, you know, now now in verse two of chapter two, Jonah um, makes mention of Sheol, and he says, um, "I called out of my distress to the Lord, and He answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol." So that's that's interesting. Uh, Sheol being, you know, the, the place of the dead, uh, to maybe put it one way. And uh, and so some have assumed that this meant that Jonah actually died, that Jonah was in Sheol. However, the Bible never uh, speaks of anyone crying out to the Lord for help after death. I was, it came to mind the, the rich man and Lazarus and the, yeah. you know, the rich man who, who calls out to Abraham, you know, across the chasm. But but we don't have this this concept of people, dead dead people calling out to God for help and and, and, you know, the Lord, uh, you know, uh, bringing him back from uh, from the dead, so to speak. So um, but an, but an example of uh, how David used the word Sheol shows up in um, in Psalm 30 verses one through three. It's kind of similar here. He says, um, well, it, it introduces a psalm, uh, a song of dedication of the house, a psalm of David. And he says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. You have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. And you healed me, O Lord. You have brought me up. Uh, sorry, you brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. So David was not referring to being raised from the dead, but he was he was talking about being rescued from the brink of death. We could say, rescued from the brink of death. And so that um, reference to Sheol, although it is a though it does refer to to you know where where people went when they died. Um, David uses it in a very similar way to to the way that, that Jonah did, and David didn't die. So that's kind of one. Thing. Another another point is that if we read Jonah's prayer carefully, um, it's actually a prayer thanking God for His salvation. Um, Jonah is recalling his experience of sinking down into the sea. Um, we see that in verse five. He says, "The great deep engulfed me; weeds were wrapped around my head." So he was kind of sinking down into the into the weeds at the bottom of the of the sea and um and then in, in verse six from inside the fish jonah recalls god's salvation so in verse six he says i descended to the roots of the mountains the earth with its bars was around me forever but you have brought up my life from the pit O lord my god so jonah actually understood the fish uh that the, that the fish was sent to save him not not to punish him. And it was the fish that actually saved Jonah from drowning in the sea. So to say that Jonah was then dead inside the fish doesn't 
again, doesn't really fit uh, with the fish actually being God's way of salvation. Okay, I'll get you go ahead. Oh, did someone have something there? No, no, okay, no I thought no. I heard something. <laughs> noises sometime on Zoom. Okay, I'll, I'll do the third point. Then, if anyone's got any, you know, <laughs> want to uh, challenge this, go for it. Um, third, third point here. Um, and and I think Andrew is on next week. And he's going to be talking about the parallel between Jonah and and Jesus. So um, we won't get into this too much, but. Um, in uh, a, few, a few places, it's recorded Matthew um, twelve thirty nine, as well as uh, sixteen verse four. Um, but we're going to use the Luke reference here. In Luke eleven twenty nine through thirty, um, it says, "As the crowds were increasing, uh, Jesus began to say, uh, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah.'" For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Um, and the uh, the word there, samion, or sign, uh, means that by which a person or a thing is distinguished from others and is known. So uh, this verse doesn't teach that uh, necessarily that both Jonah and Jesus died. Um, it simply teaches that both Jonah and Jesus were authenticated to a specific group of people by a, a similar type of sign or a sign of some sort. So Jonah was authenticated as a true prophet of God by the fact that God rescued him in such a miraculous way. And Jesus was authenticated as the true son of God by the fact that God resurrected him from among the dead. And I just wanted to note that you know, even if Jonah did die, as some have held, it still wouldn't have been an exact parallel because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Uh, Jonah, I see my phrases cut off there. <laughs> Jonah, Jonah was not resurrected. Uh, you know, or if if, if he, like let's think of think of Lazarus for example. Lazarus and 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 others were raised from the dead, but not resurrected. So if Jonah had died, it wouldn't have been a resurrection, but a, a, a resuscitation or a, or a you know, reviving from the dead. So, so that's, there's my three, my three points, my thoughts on, on did Jonah actually die in the fish? Why or why not? So any, any questions or, or <laughs> issues on that? Yeah. Good job, Miles. I think respiration might be a good term. There you go. There's a doctor speaking. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Eckel. Okay. No, it's not meant to be a mental issue uh, here. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Yes, that is exactly it. Um, you know, and, and I, I mean, people have been confused by that. You know, what's, what was, and, and you know, because we, we often, people don't really sometimes pay a lot of attention to the difference between what, what resurrection really is. And, um, and I, you know, we, I, I remember growing up and people making a big deal about, you know, what Jesus raised from the dead. And I, kind of dawned on me at one point. It's like, there's been lots of people, you know, raised from the dead, you know? Um, so in this, well, I mean, a number, you know, a handful of them throughout scripture, but, um, but when you understand that, no, Jesus was resurrected as something, this is a new, you know, a new creation. Um, right. something quite Miles. different. Yes. So what's the difference? So, so what is the difference? Good. Okay. Good question. So, so Lazarus, for instance, was, was resurrected. His, the same body was, was, um, brought back into mortal existence but but lazarus would die again right um jesus jesus uh died 
and was resurrected into the new creation body. And it has a connection to this body. Um, there's, there's some similarity. There's some sort of, uh, um, transaction, I, I guess you could say that happens between this body and that body, but it's a, it's a whole new thing. It belongs to a new creation. And, um, and of course we know that the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth is coming. Well, that's what Jesus body is fit for. And, and we all will receive that, that same kind of resurrection body as believers. Um, and, and it's fit for a whole new, a whole new created order, whole new system. Does that, does that kind of answer in brief? Yeah, that's good. All right. Thanks. Thanks All right. Let's read Jonah chapter four. Um, this is our uh, text for today. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm emphasizing that point. It's, it's yeah. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? And uh, it was noted last week that this uh, this book ends with a question <laughs> and no response. Um, but let's look at... Uh, we're getting uh, uh, the, the, that from the end of chapter 3, God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And this made Jonah very angry. And so, so Jonah is angry that God did not destroy the Ninevites. And Jonah's first prayer was, was in chapter 2, from the, from the belly of the fish. And there, uh, just by contrast here, Jonah was thankful for his salvation from the sea. Here in his prayer in in chapter four jonah is angry about the salvation of the ninevites i think it's just important to see that contrast that you know in chapter two he's he's thrilled and rejoicing and praising god and talking about you know sac going to the temple and and uh fulfilling his vows and so forth in the temple and 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 now he's just bitter to the point of death that god would save someone else's life well let's look at verses two and three um what what is Jonah's complaint what did he what did he complain about in this prayer so um Jonah actually complains 
that God is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. No, <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I the question came to mind: How did Jonah know that God was is a gracious and compassionate God? Um, and this phrase, uh, "God is slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness," is actually a common a common phrase um, throughout the Old Testament. And and I think that we could say that Jonah knew about this because of God's dealings with with Israel herself as a nation. Um, and, and the first time that these words show up, they're actually spoken by God himself. I didn't realize this until I looked it up, but, um, the first time they show up is in Exodus 34 verses six and seven, where God is speaking to Moses on, on Mount Sinai. And he says, or it says, then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands, uh, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Now, the context for these verses is is important um, to understand um, because uh, God said this at the time, not the first time Moses came up on the mountain, but he, he spoke this on the second time when he told Moses to come back up with that second set of tablets. Um, Israel had, at this point, already broken the law. And, and Moses had shattered that first set of, of tablets. And so God had very graciously dealt with, with this rebellious nation of Israel in saying, okay, um, uh, let's, let's try this again. Let's, do the, let's start this covenant over again here. So... So Jonah knew all about God's graciousness and compassion. Um, but his his anger is over the fact that God was now choosing to be gracious to someone other than the Jews. Um, and that really, that really, really ticked him off. Um, so much so that he wanted to be dead. It's a it's a really deep, deep bitterness. And and almost hard to understand. And I, I was thinking about this and um you know, you may or may not have had this experience, but if if you yourself or someone that you love has been abused by someone in some way, um, you may have experienced um, what it's like to want justice against that that wickedness, and and it can be a very deep and and bitter um, feeling. You know, and honestly, if if you were sent um, to that person with 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 this Jonah type of message, um, you know, you may very well, like Jonah, have hoped that they would just be destroyed. Um, but um, but if God showed mercy to that person, um, it, it, I think it would hurt. I think it would hurt quite a lot in in our in our in ourself. Um, and uh, you know. Uh, it, that that helped me, I think, see a little bit, perhaps, of of what Jonah was dealing with. Um, but we can be a lot like Jonah. We can raise our our concept or our view of what would be just. We can raise that up above above God's own own view. And you know, anytime we think to ourselves, um, "Well, that's that's not fair," or "Or how could God allow that?" We're raising our own moral standard. Uh, above God's and you know and it's really very 
um, proud, very arrogant, but it's very easy to do. Um, and, and like Jonah, we, we can sometimes have a hard time seeing God extend his grace to others. Um, and I was thinking this is, this is honestly what seems to be at the heart in, in some way of the Lordship salvation issue. And you know, some of the, some of the teachers in that, um, in that realm, but th- these Lordship salvation guys, they feel that God's grace would be, and they'll use this term wasted on a believer who carries on living and, you know, an immoral or an indecent lifestyle. And, and what's very uh, telling is that they don't for a minute think that God's grace is wasted on them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, why not? Well, I I guess because they, they must think they have something, you know, deserving in them, you know? Um, And, and it's, it's kind of like Lordship salvation is arrogant enough to say that, well, I am, I personally am worthy of God's grace, but that guy who, you know, claims to be a Christian, well, he must not be because he's just too bad. He just doesn't right. deserve grace. Right. You know? Miles. Yes. I remember I, I, Corey Tenboom had to deal with that. She, after she got out of the prison camp, then she had, she went to speak somewhere and one of the guards was there and she had to, mm-hmm. she had to deal with her attitude about that and work, work that out you know, for herself with that guard. Yeah. And That's Miles, a perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. Back to those, um, you know, Lordship Salvation people. That's a one nature view. That's wrong doctrine, isn't it? I mean, to, to think that there's their own self-righteousness would, you know, spare them from God's grace. I don't, I don't Yeah. It's, That's something. It's, yeah. It's I think, I think it, theology applied day to day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like you said, it's self-righteous. <laughs> well, it's, yeah. also, it's also interesting that uh, that David, you, you look at David's life and how much he loved the Lord. There's such a contrast. He he had some, you know, a lot of issues, but he loved the Lord yeah. greatly. And the Lord yeah. was so gracious that he he didn't say, "Well, David, you got you know, you got four against you and two for you." <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe you're. <laughs> no, he's he's always he's God is always the same way consistently. Across all yeah. mankind, and yes, we all fall short, and we all we all are fallen yeah. creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's so true. I, we were just reading this morning. Um, we found a book um, by uh, a man named Lance Latham. Um, he was a, a student of uh, of William Newell, uh, a, a friend of his. And, and uh, anyway, he was writing about this and, and the need for. Uh, at his day, I mean, he was he was talking about Stalin and and Mao, and he said if you know if either one of those men, um, you know, it's, at some point, you know, later in their life had had recognized um, their need for a savior and accepted Christ, they they would have been they would have received the same forgiveness um, uh, on the same basis as as any one of us. Meanwhile, you know, uh, so so many individuals who you know view themselves as being um, uh of, of some in some some way um you know worthy of, of of something um may very well not receive uh receive uh that that grace so um and speaking of william newell he, this this quote is in his uh romans um verse by verse at the end of chapter six he says grace can and does often place the worst deservers in the highest favors so yeah. So let's look at uh, God's response to Jonah. Uh, verse three, do you have good reason to be angry? 
Um, and, and what's interesting is that God kind of cuts through everything else that Jonah said there about, uh, oh, I, God, I knew you were like this, and I knew you would do that. And, um, and he just cuts through all of that noise, and he goes right to the heart of the issue, like God always does. And he says, do you have good reason to be angry? But Jonah, Jonah, um, <laughs> this keeps right was, on going. <laughs> yeah, he was angry, you know, but he didn't want to talk about the fact that he was angry. Um, he didn't want to talk about why he was angry. Um, he just wanted to throw criticism at God because he was gracious. <laughs> um, but God knew that Jonah's anger was the issue, and that's what that's what needed to be dealt with in Jonah. Um, and you know. Uh, honestly, Nineveh, by the end of chapter three, that, that story is kind of, that chapter has kind of come to a close. Chapter four is, is really all about Jonah and God's dealings with Jonah. Um, and, um, and but, so but he is waiting for the city to, you know, at the end of, end of verse right. five, he's waiting for something to happen. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, yeah. So we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that in a second here, but, um, but, uh, but we want to notice that, that Jonah, uh, he doesn't even answer this question from God. Um, you know, and I, I was thinking, has, have, have you ever had the experience where um, someone points, pointed out to you the fact that you were kind of grumpy? <laughs> and I, uh, what's, what is the effect? I know what the effect is on me. I instantly become, you know, many times more grumpy. <laughs> you know, I, I know I am, but don't point it out. I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm glad so, you know, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> so, so Jonah doesn't, doesn't answer this, but God, God puts his finger right on it. So, so let's talk about, um, verse five, Jonah's, Jonah's stakeout. I called it. Um, <laughs> essentially what he does, you know, he heads out of the city and he builds himself this shelter overlooking the city. And, um, and why would he do that? Uh, well, I know. I know. Yeah. Watch the show. Yeah. Yeah. Show. yeah I don't know. See what would happen in the city, it says, right? And, um, and notice that Jonah went outside the city, right? Um, he, did, he didn't want to be in. Um, in fact, he hoped it wasn't. And, and I, I was thinking, you know, sometimes you hear the um, the Calvinists talk about, you know, temporary faith or spurious faith, temporal faith. And and that's kind of what Jonah was hoping for here. Um, <laughs> Jonah was actually hoping that the Ninevites um, will be judged because, well, they just really didn't have enough faith or, or saving faith, you know. Um, so so this, you know, this sort of mindset is, is actually quite prominent um in in a lot of churches today in fact i know um personally of a pastor who he refused to baptize this this poor woman because he wanted to see more fruit in her life and you know she had come from a a, a fairly rough background and and he just sort of refused to believe that her faith in christ was was genuine um you know so that that i mean didn't didn't matter that she you know trust and put her put her faith in jesus christ that she believed the gospel no we're gonna wait a little bit to make sure it's you know genuine well um that's kind of i think kind of a bit of the mindset that's going on in jonah here's like yeah well words are cheap <laughs> you know but let's see what's really you know god who knows the heart surely he knows that you're you know you still need to be destroyed here so 
So, so we see that Jonah is really still unmoving in his hatred for the Ninevites. But the Lord uh, hasn't given up on Jonah, and he is um, he's about to give him this, this really vivid object lesson. So um, God's, God's divine object lesson, verses 6, 8. Now, apparently Jonah's shelter that it, that's referred to there um, was insufficient against the harsh desert uh, elements. Um, so, so God caused a large plant to grow up over Jonah. And, um, and in verse 10, um, we're told that it, it grew up overnight. Um, so, it, so it was obvious to Jonah that this was, this was a miracle. This was a miraculous plant. Plants don't just do that. Um, and, and the shade of the plant was significant because it says it delivered Jonah from his discomfort. And um, so it must have been giving a, a pretty good amount of shade. Um, but, but very interestingly, this is uh, very parallel to the fish that, that swallowed Jonah. So in chapter 1, verse 17, we read that God appointed, that's keyword, um, a great fish to swallow Jonah, and he was delivered from the sea. And here we have a very parallel kind of a statement. In 4.6, God appointed a plant to grow up over Jonah, and Jonah was delivered from his discomfort. And as we, as I emphasized in reading, Jonah was uh, extremely happy. You know, so so angry Jonah, just like that, is is just jumping up and down, excited about this plan. And and I just, it, you know, I, I found it amazing that, you know, Jonah is really only happy when God is doing something for him. Uh, <laughs> well, <that's>, you know, <laughs> but it, it, isn't that so much <laughs> how we are? That's, that's exactly how <laughs> we are. <laughs> he's, yeah, I was going to say, he's a lot like us. He's oh, a lot like us. You know, so, so self-centered, just like all of us. So, so, but, but now God has, uh, set the stage for, for his object lesson. And, and now we see again, another two things that God appoints. Um, and the, the, the third thing here is the, the worm. Um, and, uh, and so God appoints, uh, these, 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 objects to or these these things to to carry out tasks for him to carry out this work and um and uh, i i just wrote in a, a note here you know what take take courage if god can use a lowly worm <laughs> to carry out his work then perhaps he can use you and me yeah so, amen <laughs> amen <clears throat> so so the worm the worm is appointed and the worm chews off the plant and and just like that, Jonah's plant is gone. Um, but you know, it wasn't Jonah's plant, was it? Um, you know, Jonah, in in all of his self centeredness, is only thinking of his comfort, and he actually thought he deserved this plant. Um, <laughs> you know, like most of us with our with yep. our possessions, we think we deserve them. And as as the last piece of God's object lesson, he appoints a fourth thing, and that's a scorching east wind. And um, <laughs> I was thinking that, you know, the closest thing I have to this experience was um, traveling through Wyoming in August. Uh, <laughs> um, that, that was a scorching west wind, but um, it was hot. It was 102 uh, yeah. that, at that point. I, I know 
um, that that, however, was was probably nothing compared to what what Jonah was experiencing. There's there's a, in the commentaries I, I noticed there's actually a name for this this wind, this hot east wind in that part of the world, and they call it a Sirocco. Oh, Sirocco wind. Yeah, and and if we remember where where Nineveh is, it's it's the middle of the Iraqi desert. Yeah, you know? that's, it's, it's pretty brutal there. I mean, I I've seen some videos where it's like 130 or something like that, something many times. Yeah, yeah, but, I know but, a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I know a guy. He's a dual citizen, so he ended up going to Iraq um, mm. in that campaign. And and yeah, it's it's harsh, harsh environment. And um, and but this is a this is a full on you know, desert, uh, windstorm and, and heat wave. So, um, you know, and, and I said, just, just like that, um, just like a yo-yo, you know, Jonah wants to die. (laughs) Right. Um, you know, and he's, and it seems like he's brought even lower this time, right? He's, he's begging (laughs) the Lord with all his soul to die. Um, so Jonah has not yet at this point taken his eyes off of himself. He's, he's still focused entirely on, on himself. So, so in verses 9 through 11, um, we, we, we then get God's rebuke. Now, now this is kind of, I, I think, interesting to see how the Lord does this. Um, God, God set Jonah up perfectly for this lesson, and, and he's about to use um, the, a confrontation technique if we can use that phrase with god but um that we could call entrapment and it's it's basically the same method that nathan used um with david after after his sin with bathsheba um and i think if you kind of can compare the two you can kind of see how it's, it's a similar um sort of methodology here to to get at the, the heart of a man so um you know, we know that Nathan put David into a corner with this illustration, and and then he gets David to respond to it. Well, David, you know, he like David just just naturally responded to it. He didn't even have to ask him what he thought. I mean, he just he was he was livid, right? right. And and only after David responds to that that illustration does Nathan inform him or make clear to him the fact that the illustration is parallel to his own actions, his own sin. So that's, I think, precisely what God has done here with Jonah. And, and so he's used this plant as an illustration. Now, it was God's plant, right? God raised it up, and God had destroyed it. And, and just like David had compassion on the poor man with the one ewe lamb, uh, Jonah had had compassion on the plant. Um, in other words, he, he liked it. He enjoyed it, and he rejoiced in it. And, and the loss of that plant, you know, it was just a little plant. Well, maybe a big plant, but, but it really bothered him, you know? Um, and, and that's when God drops the hammer. And, and he's, he's saying, in essence, you know, Jonah, you loved this plant. You didn't want me to destroy this one measly little plant, but you want me to destroy the entire city of Nineveh? You know, do you, do you see your hypocrisy, Jonah? Um, he says there there are 120,000 people in the city who don't know their right hand from their left. And, and as an interesting note, that, that might, some commentators believe that might refer to children. Um, you know, you think of the age before which, 
you know, children can distinguish their right hand from their left hand. I don't know if anyone's been an elementary teacher or taught their own kids or whatever, you know, it's always an interesting thing, you know, tell them to put up their right hand and their, you know, know the other right hand, but it could be that it's referring to, um, referring to children. Um, or it could be that it's referring to simply, um, you know, unbelievers who, who don't know, um, right from wrong. I mean, now we know that in a sense, and, and Paul makes this clear that all men know, um, have some sense right. of, of morality that um, convicts their own conscience. But but in whatever, whatever case, whatever he's referring to here. Miles, um, Miles. Yes, yes, I was just thinking, yeah, I think he's referring to, and these are innocent in a sense. The adults might not be so innocent, but the yeah. children and the animals. Yeah, I thought it was children because he included the animals too. That they're innocent in a sense. Yeah, that's right. So rather the adults, you know, are probably a lot more guilty. But anyway, that's why yeah. I, I took it. I I think I do too. I think I, I tend towards that interpretation that it's probably referring to the children, um, because you're right. He also refers to the animals. Well, they they didn't really they just lived in the city. You know, <laughs> they didn't really have a choice. Um, and we still see that today. You know, in 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 families, in certain situations where you kind of just think, oh. The poor kids, you know, um, I, I know, I know Andrew and maybe others are, are involved in, um, um, foster care. Well, you know, that's a, a rescue, <laughs> a rescue mission for some of these poor kids that are in situations they, they don't have any control over, you know, <laughs> wasn't your fault. You were born into that family or that city. Um, and, and I think that is kind of what, what God is, is sort of pointing out. Right. Um, you know, Jonah, you don't, you don't care that there are thousands and thousands of children in this city. Um, and, and you want me to rain down destruction on them. Um, you know, that's always the result of seeing our sinful nature against the backdrop of God's holiness. Um, Job, Job's Job saw it in, in, uh, uh, in Job. He says, when God confronts me, he says, but behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken and I will not answer even twice, and I will add nothing more. Um, and, and then in, in, in Romans at the end of chapter three, um, after, after three chapters of demonstrating um, as thoroughly as possible, the absolute sinfulness and hopelessness of man, Paul says in 319, so that every mouth may be closed and the whole world may become accountable to God. And, um, and you know, man's boastful, self-righteous, self-centered mouth has to be closed before he will ever really accept the grace of God in all of its magnificence. Um, and, and, uh, and, you know, so we can ask the question. So Jonah's mouth was closed because that's it. God gets the last <laughs> word. Did Jonah get the lesson? And um, I know we've got one more um, week in, in Jonah here, but we're kind of at the end of the book now in terms of going through verse by verse. And um, and so we kind of want to ask, like, did Jonah get it? And and I think um, I think I think he did. Um, uh, Jonah is, is almost certainly the one who wrote the book. Um, and and that tells me that um, he probably did get the lesson. Um right. You know, um, and otherwise he, he, he probably wouldn't have written this yeah. down. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, yeah, actually, Miles, it almost would be inappropriate for him to have any, let God have the, if he believes 
God and what God has said, he gets to have the last word and just be quiet. That's great. That's a great testimony to Jonah. Yeah. Well, you know, we often read the book of Jonah and we and we just point our fingers and shake our heads like what a guy. What a what a wreck of a prophet, you know. <laughs> so either somebody really malicious wrote it or Jonah in, in humility wrote it, yeah. you know. And I think that is I think that is the answer. Um, and so Jonah let let this this book stand as a as a testimony to the greatness of God's grace and compassion, and it and it really does not does not paint Jonah in a in a wonderful light at all, you know. Um, other than a few places where he you know like in, in chapter two, but but really, you know, other than that, God gets all of the um, well in, in in every case, God gets all of the glory for what He's done. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. So any any thoughts, questions, or comments on now that we've uh, I have a question. What happened to the shelter that he built? <laughs> yeah. I'm so curious. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden well, it... well, I did a little <laughs> looking into that. That is the same word for booth that um you know the the, the feast of booths um when the Israelites were gonna camp out. And uh, I don't know if you've ever tented in the in the summer. Um I mean, it can be chilly at night, but when the sun comes up in the, in the morning and you're laying there in your tent, and the sun's already up early and it can just be scorching. So, yeah. you know, uh, whatever his shelter was, I don't know what he had to make it out of, but apparently it just wasn't sufficient to keep the heat off. So, yeah, I, I know. I kind of wonder that's interesting that he, he mentions that. But it, I mean, I think that points in, in part, there may be a small element in there that um, that Jonah's effort to to save himself from the uh from this from the, the desert heat was quite insufficient whereas god was able to provide um a totally sufficient uh, means of of shelter and shade in jonah apparently, apparently it was really good because jonah was extremely happy about it so <laughs> yeah. well he did the same thing with adam and eve adam and eve tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, and god gave them animal skin yeah so. yeah we see it over and over. Every every time man attempts to solve his problems, right? Yeah. Um, fall uh, quite quite short of that. Mm. Awesome. Well, thanks for your comments, there. Let's uh, let's pray, Heavenly Father. We thank you that uh, you have given us this this amazing little book of, of Jonah, um, Lord. We thank you that it so uh, displays your grace, and we we get to see this this wonderful picture. Um, in the Old Testament of where you extended such grace and such mercy, such compassion to to these wicked Gentiles, much like ourselves and our own nations. Um, and Lord, we know that you do um, you do judge evil, you do judge wickedness. you're not a you're not a fickle God who who is capricious, but um, Lord, you've judged sin completely on the cross uh, in, in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so you are free to extend your grace to whomever will receive it. And, Lord, we thank you that, uh, that we have become um, partakers in that, in that wonderful grace. And we pray that you would uh, just cause us to, uh, to just, d- that you would, through us, display, uh, display the, the life by that grace um, to those around us so that many more would, um, would see and uh, and see their need for and recognize and accept that that grace. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.